I, I was uh, expecting this place maybe to be hollowed out this morning. Yesterday, Jim and I didn't even know if we could get the exits open. I had a, uh, I had a mattock with a pick on the end, and I couldn't touch this ice out here with that. So finally, I used the mattock and began to break it off with great chunks. And I'd break it off, and Jim would move it aside. You could still see it out there. And uh, it was two guys out of the nursing home. <laughs> Uh, here, I don't know where the other staff was, but here we were, uh, knocking, uh, knocking it all loose. We wanted to, we wanted to have room to get a gurney out that door right, right there. And I think we finally got all the decks cleared, and I think you can get in and out any door without having to walk on ice. Parking lots are in pretty good shape. We do have a tree down out there. Maybe have another huge one up here ready to go, but. Uh, it was just positively dangerous around here. The, uh, you, if you had to get out, I, it was so bad. We stayed here one night, uh, because of fear of the winds and the trees behind us. Anyway, we were fine, but I wouldn't even walk across the parking lot. Uh, because it was just absolutely an ice rink. So we're glad to see you. We're glad that the Lord got it all cleared up so we could all be together and that you were inclined to come and be with us. So it's really, really good. And sorry to miss a week. Missed that. Missed you. Anyway, we want to thank the Lord. Uh, some of you went through a harder time than others this round because you were without heat and lights and that sort of thing. We went through that two years ago up where we live. But anyway, it's all good, I think. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come into your presence with thanksgiving. You are almighty God. Lord, you're in control of everything. And we thank you that so far as we know, there were no accidents, no broken legs, no broken homes, no homes were destroyed. We thank you for those who stepped up to help others, and many did, uh, to be of assistance. And uh, that is the spirit of Christ in your people. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for your provision for each one of us. We know, our Father, we're not going to go through this life uh, untouched by any adversity. And our problems are mostly first world problems. What people are going through in other parts of the world are almost unimaginable. But we thank you, our Father, that most of us can go and get to homes intact and get in beds that are either warm or we can make warm. And under the right conditions, we can get in our vehicles and go from this place to that place. So we have it so good by your grace, and we are grateful for it. Even if others are not, our Father, we here in this body, we know you and we know what you have done for us. We are most of all thankful for our great salvation, which we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. We thank you for our church body, for our the many good people, our Father, that comprise it. We now pray that this service may glorify you. And we pray that if any here do not know the Lord, that the Spirit of God will use the service and all of its elements to draw upon their hearts and bring them to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, today you get the message that I was going to bring two weeks ago. So at least I was prepared. We're going to talk about uh, Dynamo or Dino. What's a Dino? Well, look here, word from the pastor. You've got your bulletin. Do you know what a Dino is? A Dino is a disciple in name only. 
Like a tree, a dino may bear religious leaves, but worthless fruit. At the end of the day, let our highest aspiration as Christians be to bear good fruit and that daily to walk worthy of the glory of our God. Short of that, none other distinction or status is worth the powder it would take to blow it up with. No better than the chocolate Easter bunny, sweet maybe, but hollow. I don't know about you. I can speak of these things only for myself and, of course, for Aussie. But uh, nothing counts, really. Nothing counts. Nothing is worth flip. Nothing. Not your houses, your lands, your cars, your bank account, even your health. Nothing is worth flip unless we are disciples producing fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ and glorifying God. I hope that's your your ambition. I hope that if you thought that you'd pass through life and at the end of the day, the Lord would judge you to be fruitless. That would be a disaster for you. I hope that's the way you think. I hope that's the way the Spirit of God would turn our minds and our hearts so we think that way. Serious stuff. Our Christian era is marked by many spiritual pathologies. Two of them are addressed in this text today, which I'll momentarily read. One that we are constantly battered by is a feeling of insignificance. Now, we may live in Lake Oswego and people out in other parts, they think of it as Fat Cat City. That's not the personality nor the condition of this particular body. The trouble with a lot of us, I mean, it's not a sin. I'm not talking about that. But one of the things that we wrestle with is that feeling because we're not, we're not people of high status. Most of us in this room are not people with fat incomes. Oh, you can drive a car, maybe two, maybe three or four. I'm just kidding. You have homes and nice homes and you have jobs that are um, be considered good jobs. Most of you are probably in that category, though there are some who are not there. But still, when you go look at your resume, and we all have a resume, whether it's formal or not, when you go look at your resume, you look at it, and you're in that, are we having fun yet? stage of life and you don't feel so good about yourself from that point of view what have I achieved what have I accomplished if I were to die tomorrow what the heck would they say about me (laughs) Uh, we can leave that part of the memorial service out (laughs) because there's not much to say I was not a high achiever I don't have any of those listings that say, wow, that person was an overachiever. So we, when we look in the mirror, we kind of feel insignificant, really. Now, that's one set of us. And then there's the other. I'm speaking especially of those of us who profess to be believers, There's an attitude of spiritual presumption. We, uh, presumption manifests itself in those who take their Christian profession for granted, but they have no proof to show for it. They claim to belong to the vine that Jesus talks about, but where are the grapes? What we see is a big hat, but where are the cattle? 
this passage speaks to those issues. So let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. And for any of you who are guests this morning, our brand here should be the brand of every church, but it's not. It's Bible teaching. We take a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible and we expound it. We've been going through the Gospel of John for some time now. Jesus says, as we make the chapter turn, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, catch that sentence, he, the Father, takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. That's what's going on in a lot of our, it's going on in all of our lives who know him. It's going on in my life, it's going on in yours. The father is pruning. The word is sanctification. He's working in your life just to iron out the kinks and conform you to Christ. He does that that we may bear more fruit, just as a vine dresser does in a vineyard. You're already clean, those of us who really know him. We're clean because of the word, which is active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's an organic thing. The word of God is not just words written on a page. It's that, but it's living We're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, Jesus says. So then he says to all of us, and uh, this is a friend, abide in me. What does that mean? And there's so much stuff written about things like that. It's so mystical. We're going to bring it down to brass tacks. I had a friend of mine was getting his doctorate in England. First book he was going to write was Abide in Me. He's a good man. But I'm afraid the book didn't quite hit the target. It got too mystical. We're not going to leave it there. Abide in me. I will abide in you. That's our mandate. That's the mandate for your life. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Can't happen. I am the vine. You, those who know him, are the branches. He who abides in me and I abide in him, he, she bears much fruit. For apart from me, my language, you can't do flip. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, there's that phrase again, runs all through here like a stream. He is thrown away as a branch, and it just dries up. And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. It's a metaphor, but you get the point. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, They really find a lodging place in your heart. You shall ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. Now, we explained that about a week ago in the last chapter. Try to do that again. By this, my Father is glorified. That's what we want to do. That's what we're about. If we're not about that, what are we doing here? Let's just empty the place, raise the place, and do something else with the property. My Father is glorified when you and I bear fruit. That you may bear fruit and thereby prove that you're not dinos, disciples in name only. That you're really, truly a disciple, which is to say an honest I don't mean this profanely, an honest-to-God believer. Just as my Father has loved me, I have also loved you. 
says it again, abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be torn out of here. Somebody read it for me. That my joy may be what? what I mean. It's all coming apart. So let's talk about the divine source of our spiritual life. Verse 1. Jesus says, look at me. Let's look at him spiritually. Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the farmer, the husbandman. He's picking up that familiar imagery from the Old Testament. He draws an an analogy between himself, his father, and his disciples. He likens himself to the vine stem, and from him all living branches draw their life and vitality. If there's anything for the glory of God in your pastor, in your elders, in all of our church leaders and in the rank and file of our membership, it comes from the Spirit of Christ, which is to say, the Holy Spirit. There is no spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. There may be church members, but there's no spiritual life apart from Him. To have eternal life and to be able to produce the spiritual equivalent of fruit For God the Father, there must be a living union with Christ. Jesus is the true vine. Now he's speaking in that day to the Jewish people and to his disciples, but right here to his disciples, all of whom were Jews. It's not Israel. Whatever branches have life, they possess eternal life, not because of their physical relationship to the nation Israel, or even any religious relationship to that nation, but because of their living connection with Jesus Christ. That's everything. That's everything. Think of yourself as a branch in a vine. Every one of you know Christ. Think of that metaphor. You're a branch in a vine. There are three relationships we can have to the vine itself. The first one is total detachment. In that case, you're Dino. Just speaking real frankly, you and I, we're Dinos. There's no spiritual life. We're dead at the center. No fruit toward God. Just a branch out there may have leaves, and those can deceive. But we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. You've heard me say, I say it again, I never want to be misunderstood, my spirit. I love this church. Uh, Guy once said, yeah, what do you do when they don't love you? (laughs) But I, I love this church. You're wonderful people. I do not speak this in any spirit to berate the church, to berate you. But I just have to tell you the truth. In every church, this situation exists. There are people sitting in the pews. They don't know it. They don't get it. They're just attached, you know, to the name of Jesus. They are still in their debt and their trespasses and sins, still without Christ, still without help, not without a church, but without Christ. They are without hope, without a future, save the prospect of eternal judgment. That's one possibility. That exists in every church in America. The second possibility is mere outward attachment to the vine. A person is in the vine in the sense of maintaining an outward connection, very similar to the first, but not of the vine in the sense of a living bond. We've all seen that in trees, just regular trees, been around a vineyard. My granddaughter's married into a vineyard family. And you go out there and you see that, past vineyards on the way home. 
And although that person is outwardly connected to the vine, there's no inward relationship. They're not drawing any vitality from it. There's no communication of the vital sap of life, which is Christ. The proof that that connection is not a living one is a lack of fruit. The third possibility is a living attachment, and that's where we all want to be. Evidence of this relationship is fruit-bearing grapes. We'll get around to what that looks like, but that's enough there for now. Where there is eternal life, it is drawn from organic union with Jesus Christ. There is no spiritual life to be gained from membership in a local church. No spiritual life to be gained from self-reform. I pass on the way here every day, and I see it Saturdays and Sundays too, I think. Come a little earlier on Sundays. Pass a place where they got all these AA guys meeting. And I think, well, that's good. They're trying to kick a habit, some of them successfully. Well, that's good. But what good is that if they're still going to go to hell? They've reformed. They've not been transformed. You mentioned Jesus Christ to them as one of them told me, and they go mad. (laughs) Don't bring that up. No, nothing is to be gained from self-reform. All the families are grad. John, John Doe. John's sober. He's no longer drinking or drugs. They no longer, well, that's fine. That's easier on the family. But he's still living in death. One enters into a living relationship with him by receiving him and his message. Receiving him and his message, abiding in his word, by taking him at his word. If you're in this building, you're with us. If that hasn't happened yet, you're attending church. But in and of itself, it's worthless. By taking him at his word that he is the Savior, that he is the Lord of all creation, that he died for your sins and mine, that he rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, and is coming again to receive his own and to judge the earth. That's taking him at his word, embracing his word, basing your life on it. Now, in 1B through verse 3, let's talk about this divine cultivator behind our spiritual growth. The Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, this is a warning, not from me, from Jesus. He takes it away. Every branch that bears fruit He prunes it. We've all seen that process. That it may bear more fruit. We have a very good lawn service here. And these guys get out of here in the cold, burr, wind whipping, clip, 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 going around a lot of our vegetation around. Clip, 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 piles of it. And then they pick it up and they take it away. They throw it on the back of their truck. And where's that stuff headed? I think, I'm guessing. Used to be that way when I was growing up with my dad going to the fire. The father planted the vine. Let's notice he's the source of its life. The father purges the dead growth from the vine. It doesn't say how, it doesn't say when. It just says that's under the supervision of the father. Every branch in me connected with me in some way that does not bear fruit, the Father takes it away. Iro is a Greek verb. It's an unproductive branch at some point, some way. Now, let me say this is a note, important note. That clause, if any of you, for example, have a Nelson study Bible, Aussie has one she's used for years. And I know how, I know specifically how it came this way. I know who did it. <laughs> that clause has confused some, and you will see the confusion 
reflected in the Nelson Study Bible. Some take that phrase, in me, in its technical theological sense, as in the Pauline, the epistles of Paul. That's an interpretive error. This is a metaphor, this is a figurative or metaphorical context. In me, in this context, refers to various relationships a fruit or a branch may have to the vine, living or dead, organic or lifeless, outward or inward. As I mentioned a moment ago, a vine, like any other fruit-bearing tree, has at least two kinds of branches or shoots in it, unproductive ones and fruitful ones. It's easy to tell the difference. So it is in the spiritual realm. Listen carefully. You'll hear how many Christians are in the world as opposed to Muslims, as opposed to this, that, and the other. Well, when they use those statistics, understand this. They're statistically enumerating Christendom. Christendom. Those are people who are connected officially or unofficially to some species of institutional Christianity. In that sense, they have an outward connection to Christ. In that metaphorical sense, they are in him. They're connected. Not organically. There's no vital life flowing, but therefore no fruit. They have an outward attachment to Christ. Many in our churches do. They may fool themselves and they may fool others by a few green leaves. You've seen that and I've seen it. But the proof is in the pudding, as they say, it's in the fruit. It's not one of those things where, well, if you're a Baptist, you're in the real thing. Or you're a Methodist or you're a Presbyterian or you're an independent of this or you're in the Church of Christ or hogwash every church entity under the umbrella of Christendom some are true some are false some are dead branches some are living branches unproductive branches are proof positive that the attachment is not a living one would you so what are we talking about, about abiding in Christ and bearing fruit? Let's get that fruit stuff. What are we talking about? Well, let's see if the guys can get it up there. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 23. What does fruit look like? I mean, okay, I guess I got to search for it here. And I can do that. Oh, good. Okay. Now, the deeds of the flesh, that's the unregenerate man or woman. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are. This is what you see in people of the world, people who are not vitally, organically connected to Christ. What do they look like? Well, not everyone and everybody, but these are the symptoms. Immorality, impurity, Sensuality, boy, if that's not America today. Factions, go ahead. Okay, should have done it first time. Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, and outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, all that comes from the flesh. And some of that appears in you and me from time to time. Envings, drunkenness, carousing, things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you previously, 
those who practice such things. That's their lifestyle. When we talk about character, that's our character set. That kind of stuff is all over them, like measles. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, yes, we're saved by God's grace through faith, and that not of itself, it is a gift of God. But that faith is a living faith. They abide in Christ. They're vitally connected to him, and that's not their character. That's not what they look like on a daily basis. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's what he's talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is this kind of thing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So live by the Spirit. Now, if you know Christ, the Spirit of God is working in you to prune you, prune me, and more and more produce that kind of character in our lives. That's not all. Go to Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 5 through through 8. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, we are admonished. This is our part. In your faith, supply moral excellence. If the Spirit of God reigns in you, if you're abiding in Christ, I'll get to exactly what that means. In your moral excellence, supply knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. Oops. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. You know what perseverance is? It's just putting your head down and going for it no matter what, in faith, believing. You keep walking. Well, God doesn't seem like he loves me. Don't get hung up there. Believe God. Just keep going. And in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, Christian love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, listen to this. They render you neither useless nor fruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, you may be a nobody in your eyes or in the eyes of your neighbors, not a big deal, but you are somebody in the eyes of God and you're making a difference That's my life prayer. I hope that'll be your prayer. Lord, at the end of the day, no matter what hell I walk through, at the end of the day, help me make a difference. Help me make a dent in somebody's history. If these qualities are in you, I assure you, the apostle says, if they're there and they're increasing, they render you neither useless. You are not useless. You may not be a pastor. You may not be an elder. You may not be anything but just old Joe or old Jane. But you're not unfruitful in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. I could go on. That's what we mean by fruit. Fruit doesn't mean that little Jimmy Andrews becomes a pastor of a church. And it burges overnight to 17,000 people. That's not necessarily fruit. And when the Lord comes, a lot of these people won't even show up on the radar. Fruit is that kind of product coming from my life and being reproduced in your life. You may be one of the most anonymous people in this church. But if you're having that effect on people around you, God is being honored. God's not going to ask me any of those questions when we appear before the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jim, what did you do? Give me your resume. Well, I was this, I was that. 
No, what was the fruit, Jim? What was the fruit? Where was the fruit of the Spirit in you? Of course, he knows. He doesn't have to ask. What kind of fruit did your influence through the Spirit of Christ, what kind of fruit did it produce in others? Listen, folks, I'm getting time challenged here, but I'm going to go on if you don't mind. I want to tell you something. In the 33 headed for 34 years I've been in this church, we've had all kinds of people come through here, all kinds of staff. And one of the things I'll point out is that in some of them, I never knew, and usually staff are here for quite a while, I never knew one person that through their Christian influence, not one person they made better, not one person. I never saw it. Oh, Lord God, what a condemnation. Are you making your children better, better Christians? You're making your husband, wife better through the influence of the Spirit of God? Are you becoming better, fruit-producing? Then you're not unproductive. You're somebody in the eyes of God. Down deep in people who don't produce fruit is an unbelieving heart masquerading in the mask of religious faith. The father prunes the branches on the vine. How does he do that? Well, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Show you how he does that. People were whining and complaining, these young Hebrew Christians, but all they were going through for Christ. I've got to cut to. He's telling them in verses five and following. Do you know what's going on? He doesn't use the word, but it's the same idea. You're being pruned. I said to you, we're all being pruned. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, as children of God. My son, do not lightly regard the discipline of the Lord. Don't faint when you're being reproved by him. What's going on? For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Pastors too. It is for discipline that you stick with it, you stay under it. It is for discipline that you endure. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you're without discipline, if you can live in all that crap and go all that way, and there's never any price to pay, there's never a lash on your back, you know what that means. He says, you're a spiritual bastard. You're not real. I'll stop right there just for the sake of time. The Father prunes us. He looks at us. He loves us, but he cleans us up. You know what happens when you prune a tree? One neighbor beside us, we had one get ripped by the ice two years ago, and I thought they were going. To, they thought they were going to have to take it out. Then they called a tree, tree people, somebody that I'd used, and they came and whack, 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 whack. Gee whiz, what's left? And now that tree's all over the place, and I want to go whack it myself right at the roots. <laughs> It's all over the place. That's what the Father does to make a vine fruitful. He does this whacking. On verse 4, the condition of our spiritual growth is reiterated. Abide in Christ. I told you I was going to come to this. What does it mean now to get away from the mystical? What does it mean to abide in Him? All right, here we go. I'm going to put it different ways as I usually do. It means to stay anchored to His Word. You'll see that in John 8. To stay anchored to his word. If you abide in my word. Anchored to his word is the final authority over our lives. If we stick with him, 
he will abide with us. That is, his spirit will be working in us and through us to accomplish his will and his work in and through our lives. Then he tells us in verse 4 about the futility of a branch not rooted organically in him. Abide in me. That means I'll be abiding in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vines, so neither can you unless you abide in the vine. Got to be there. You got to be there. We can come to church. Listen, this is just stuff I think about. I should think about it. All of us who lead the church should think about it. I like what we do. I don't look around and see stuff. Oh, why are we doing that stuff? I look around. I see programs. I see activities. And I know what our people are up to. And I applaud. But it's so easy for us to get involved in churchiness, just activities that have no relationship. We just slip away from that, from trying to cultivate a life that bears fruit. We've always got to keep our eyes on the ball. A branch is not rooted in him, it's worthless. As a practical matter then, abiding in Christ, what does it come down to on Monday morning? This is still Sunday. Listen, it is to keep on believing and trusting his word, which in the form of his written word, this, is not different than trusting in his person, in his living word. People who do not hear very well this word do not hear very well his word, the living word. Now, Jesus does mean to keep the faith once for all delivered to the saints out of Jude. He means for us to do that. Abide in me. He means keep the faith that I've delivered to you, but I'm not through yet. It means more. You've heard this from me before. You will hear it again and again as long as God gives me breath. What does it mean for me, your pastor, to be abiding in Christ, to be abiding in his word? Well, it means to take his word seriously. It's my anchor. It's my authority. And everything else is nothing. It means, first of all, to be what he's called me to be. It means to strive to be morally conformed to Christ. That is to be a Christian. Examples or models of Christ. That takes spiritual effort on our part. There's a story I often tell. I know I'm running. Just bear with me. I seldom do this. But this is too important. <clears throat> there was a class at Multnomah. Some of you have heard this, uh, now a university. Well, there are a bunch of guys in a class. Two men, two men, uh, old Johnny Mitchell, he was 90, 92. And they're up there lecturing these young men about staying clean, staying pure. One of them raised his hand and said to Dr. Mitchell, they were co-teaching, the other was Willard Aldridge. And they were both about as old as Methuselah. And said, Dr. Mitchell, sir, we're younger men. Can you tell us younger guys when the hormones begin to lay down and be quiet? And Dr. Mitchell looked at Dr. Aldridge this way. There was a pregnant pause. Then he turned to the young man. He said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Listen. You don't get 65, you retire and start drawing Social Security or whatever it is these days, 65, 67. And all of a sudden, all those problems go away. They don't go away. It's a battle. All these things are a battle as long as you're breathing air. What I'm called to be is not a pastor or an elder or a Sunday school teacher or any other women's leader. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be a Christian. 
morally conformed to Christ, that is, to be an example or model of him. These things are not exactly precise in their division. Likewise, it's to do what he called me to do. Micah 6, 8. Listen to this. Well, what's that mean, Pastor, to do what he called? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? When you get up on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, you got up this morning, what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. What's the Lord want of you? Want you to come to church, reach in your pocket, throw a big check down. By the way, if you're so inclined, do it. (laughs) We could use it. But that's not what we're talking about. It is the what he wants out of you on Monday morning is to do those things. Just It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's like stepping off the Brooklyn Bridge. It's very simple, and yet it's hard. Then he wants us to go. The Christian life is being, doing, it's going, going where he wants us to go. That's what it means to abide in him, in his message. To go where? Into the world. What's his great commission? Go into all the world. Make disciples. Teaching them to do as I've told you to do. It means to reproduce ourselves. Where does that start? You quit your job and go to India? Well, that might be the case. No. Go home. Go into your home. Husband, make a disciple of your wife. Wife, make a disciple of your husband. It means go where? Jesus said it. Take up your cross. That's pain. That's humiliation. You cannot live the Christian life without enduring some of that. Maybe a lot of that, depending who and where. And follow Jesus into humiliation and maybe shame. Into singleness or marriage. God may call you not to marriage, but to singleness. That's what he wants. You understand now what abide in him means? It's not something fluffy, squishy. To be what he called us to be, to do what he called us to do, to go where he called us to go. Abide in my word. You abide in my word, you can be assured I'm abiding in you. Strengthening you, the spirit of Christ. The consequences of our spiritual choices are in verses 5 through 9. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, they go together. He bears much fruit. Oh, it's nothing anybody's going to put down on a resume necessarily. I've seen in this church, I've seen it, and that's a wonderful thing to see. I've seen it in other churches I've been in. People who have no profile, some did, some didn't. They're just good and godly people in whom the Spirit of God works. And quietly, they go do things to honor Christ. Over this storm, this morning, somebody came in and I said, well, I see you're here this morning. You dug out. They said, because of the help from the church, a couple guys went over and dug them out of the ice so they could be here this morning. That wasn't one of life's great achievements. But the point is, they did that. Nobody asked them to. They just knew the problem existed. It's just the spirit of Christ. And so they also dug out my neighbors. That's just one example. I hear it all the time. People going and helping and doing things. There's one of the we lost, as I think you all know by now by the communication, we lost Jim Snyder over this storm time. That was not unexpected. But just before that, John Dotson had taken some of the young people up there maybe a couple of weeks ago, and they went caroling in his room and in the facility. Now, I know the voices and it scares me to death. <laughs> but anyway, they liked it. And they 
went to do it. Well, then one of the kids, a week, week and a half later, came to John and wanted to know, they cried up there over Jim's bed. They wanted to know if they could go back and see him again. That's a kid that's a young teenager. That's the influence of a leader, pastoral leader. That's the influence of a church. Infusing the life through the Spirit of God with that kind of spirit. Teenagers don't do that. Maybe their grandfather, their father, their mother. Somebody that they just, they don't want to. But those are just a few examples. I see it in the life of so many of you. And it really encourages me and blesses my heart. When I see you rise up and do it. Nobody asked you to. It wasn't a a pastorally endorsed or requested activity. You just did it. That's abiding in Christ. That's his word working in you. That's his spirit moving you to go do God's work. We have a promise. I'm going to have to cut through this. We have a promise here of the awesome power of prayer when we abide in him. And when Jesus says, whatever you ask, you'll do That's contextually, contextually absolute, but it's, it's got to be circumscribed by what the rest of the Bible teaches. If we pray anything according to his will. And James tells us, you don't get some of the things you ask because you don't ask according to his will. You ask selfishly. So the assumption here in what Jesus is saying is when we're animated by the Spirit of God, we ask those things that are agreeable to the Spirit of God and God does them because we belong to him. He's in us. He loves us and is encouraging us, working through us and producing fruit. There's a promise of serious impact on the earth. Serious impact on the earth. You never know what you can do. This is an old story. Some of you probably heard it. I can do it pretty fast. Most of you in this church have probably heard of D.L. Moody, one of the great evangelists of a previous generation. Great friend of Charles Spurgeon. D.L. Moody was just a little boy. I don't know. I don't remember the age. It may have been about eight, same time I came to know the Lord. And there was a shoe salesman who was a Sunday school teacher. I just read this again a while back. And a Sunday school teacher had a great passion for these kids. And he says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man totally devoted to him, totally abiding in Christ. D.L. Moody was sitting there as a little kid. He said, I'm going to be that man. And that was his vision. And God used him. And he changed the whole Western world to some degree through that man. Now, that's not going to be a vision like that. I'm not going to fulfill that. You're probably not going to fulfill that. But what God can do with anonymous people like that shoe salesman, influence on others. You never know who you will touch. Then there's a promise of intimate communion in his service in verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Stay there. That's where you want to be. We've always got to summon ourselves. I I found in my pastoral ministry, I've told the staff about this. You've always got to call yourself back. That's why Jesus says, abide in me. You can't say it one day I'm... We have a tendency to drift. We have a downward gravity. And I found as a pastor, young pastor, I'd be walking around in my church, which I regularly did, having my prayer time. And I'd find myself just going through the motions. I mean, I meant it, but I wasn't into it, if you know what I mean. I'd just done it. And I'd have to call myself back and say, come on, Jim, get serious. If you're going to pray, man, pray. If you're going to go through the motions, it's not going to do anything. So we got to summon ourselves every time, every day. We have a tendency to drift. 
Come on, Jim, Joe, Jane, Jack, Jill. Get serious. Don't be just churchy. Don't be a Christian in name only, a disciple in name only. Get serious, Jack. Just have your own little personal revival. Well, in verse 10, we see outward confirmation of our authenticity. If you keep my commandments, if you do what I say, you get anchored into me and my message, you will abide in my love. I've kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. Do what you're supposed to do. Be what you're supposed to be. Go where you're supposed to go. Don't play church. Well, I close now. I want to say something to those who are not abiding in Christ in the sense that we've defined. If you want a life that counts, if you want a life infused with the power of God, a life that pulsates with meaning and significance, you may be, you know, still a nobody as society counts. You need to be attached to Christ. That involves a choice on your part to be reconciled to God, to come to him. I say to those of us who are professing Christians, Christ doesn't want you to make a splash, but he wants you to set a splendid example of what it means to be a Christian. Be a Christian. The best way to contribute to him and to glorify God is to resolve to be what he's called you to be, what he's called you to do, to go where he's called you to go, to be light in the world, salt in the earth, be difference makers, to be a trophy of the grace of God. Do that and let him worry about what you should do just in terms of activities. That's what it means to abide in him. If we do that, we'll be fruitful. We'll be productive disciples as he counts it. We will be difference makers who manifest Jesus to the world and pave the way for the word in the world. I'll close with one little illustration. Just hand me. Some of you will remember, we used to have a lady. She passed away maybe three or four years ago. She came in. She was partially disabled, came in a wheelchair, and she sat right there. You may remember her. All of a sudden, the name escapes me. She is a sweetheart. Yeah, Casey Stever. Just a sweetheart. But back in the 60s, you know, the flower children and all of that, she was around her. You'd have never guessed it. She was one of the wild ones back in the 60s the University of Oregon. And she was in every kind of religious thing going, new age, new this, all that. We had one of our gals, Dawn, remember Dawn? She and Ray, Ray was up in the booth. They moved away now, they're over in Idaho. But Dawn was a hairdresser over this lady, came in to get her hair dressed. And she thought Dawn was the kindest, nicest person she ever met. And uh, she found out Dawn went to church, that Dawn was a Christian. And uh, she said to her one day, so where do you go to church? Don said, oh, just across the street there, Lake Bible Church. She says, I want to go there. <laughs> she started coming here, and she found Christ. All her life was changed. She was a joy and gave joy to others. It's nobody. This was no pastor. This was no elder. This was no women's leader, men's leader, or anything like that. This was just one of our rank-and-file members who had a beautiful spirit about her. And that light, that salt, was tasted and felt and affected somebody else. As a result of that, that woman is now in the presence of the Lord Jesus. That's fruit bearing. It's not that notch on her gun. It's that life, being what you're called to be, doing what you're called to do, going where you're called to go. And God calls to her to go over here and be there at that place. And there she was light and she was salt.
It's a wonderful thing. Make that your ambition. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you, that your spirit may draw them out and call them forth and draw them to the humility of repentance and to recognize they need Christ and cause them to find abundant life in him. We pray that they will stand up and stand out for Jesus. The rest of us, we pray the Spirit will motivate, sanctify, prune us, shape us so that we're real fruit bearers. We are productive Christians. We're real disciples and not dinos. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.